the word all, A-L-L, shows up 13 times in this one chapter. And uh, it's pretty amazing. We're going to go through the chapter and not, I'm not going to enlarge on all the different verses. But uh, there's a certain passage towards the end we'll spend uh, some time and give particular attention. And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the passage that says it all. And it caught my attention going through Colossians again in my studies. And I thought, boy, this would be a good reminder for us uh, this morning about this thing of the issue of all with that. Let's pray together. All right, Father, we've had a good morning in service so far. Thank you for a reminder through that song. There was a day when we met you. And Lord, I am glad that for many, the majority of those who listen this morning, that's true. There may be some out here, Lord, you know the hearts of those who've walked in. And maybe they haven't met you yet. They know about you as a historical figure, but they don't know you. Lord, I pray you'll give them good conviction today of their condition of being lost. May they not be satisfied with either their own righteousness or their own religion. And God, I pray you'll bless this morning to the end of souls being attracted unto you. Help us who know you today to know you better. And in so doing, be more like you in our daily life. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And thank God for that. And Timotheus, our brother, to the saints. And you see the word saints there with that. That's not someone with a little glowing thing around their head. That's a, a believer is what that is. Very, very simple. Someone believer in Christ. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, the particular town. The, the Colossians was written to a church in the town called Colossae. There were churches in that town. And to the, uh, to the brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Let me say to you, one of the best things we can ever do for one another and for our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that we know, and those who are even scattered different places, different states, even different nations, is to pray for one another. Pray that we have boldness. Pray that we walk in the will of God. Pray that those who are in harm's way, in persecution's way, where every day is a, uh, their decisions can, can mean, uh, can mean uh, freedom or, or incarceration or sometimes even life or death. Uh, pray for them to have boldness, have them a door of utterance, have wisdom in following God. And it says we, we uh, pray for one another. We're praying always for you. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ, I stand Christ Jesus there, and of the love which you have to all the saints. Let me ask you something. Um, has anybody ever heard of your faith? There's a question. Have they ever heard of your faith because you've shared your faith with them? Have they ever heard of your faith because someone has told them that uh, they know you to be a person who follows Christ? And he said they heard of your faith, and not only that, but he said heard of your faith and uh, in Christ Jesus and of your love which you have to all the saints. Uh, I had a little correspondence yesterday with Brother Fielder, and he sent a little message to me and said he wanted to thank again the people of the church for how kindly you treat him. It had been a good while since he'd been here. Got to be here for the one service, and he remarked how it felt uh, it was good to be here again and how well he was treated. Um, that's that's uh, the constant testimony of those who come through. May that ever be your testimony that you have a love uh, for all the saints to care for one another. Verse 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. 
The hope is that we have a specific assurance based on the Word of God. I don't think maybe someday I might go to heaven. I have based on the Word of God, I've put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In His finished work. Not in anything that I do. Not me being a preacher. Not me tithing. Not me giving to missions. Not me being a witness. Not me trying to live a clean life. None of those things are what I depend upon for having the hope which is laid up before me. My hope is put firmly in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what He did. And who He is. And His capacity not only to save but to keep. Thank God for it this morning. I'm telling you, that's enough to even make a sleepy Baptist grin. Amen? We're saved and we have that hope in front of us. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now, look where we run into this word. Which is come unto you as it is unto all the world. Have you ever considered what an amazing thing God did on the day of Pentecost? You're familiar with that term, most of you. Pente meaning five. It's actually the Feast of 50. And uh, the day of Pentecost was fully come. What happened? On that day we refer to that particular Pentecost feast, God did an amazing thing for a short period of time and at that particular place, He more or less reversed what happened at the Tower of Babel. He caused men who were from all nations under heaven, they'd come. They would have probably shared a knowledge of the Hebrew language because that would have continued to have been taught them no matter where they were dispersed as Jews. But when they came, they heard the Gospel preached. And what amazed them, they said, how hear we every man the message in the tongue wherein we were born? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Greeks, Cretes, Arabians. Why? They all heard the Word of God. And they heard it, why? Because God had translated that thing back to them. That's what the Bible talks about when tongues were given. And the word tongues and languages is used back and forth throughout uh, Acts chapter 2 and let you understand what happened. God broke the language barrier for that time at that particular place. He did it two or three different times in the book of Acts, but He did that particular time and did it to send the Gospel into all the world because those people that were there listening and of the 3,000 that got saved and baptized that day, many of them were from many different nations. But then they went back to those nations with the message of the Gospel. Sort of what happened with Philip and the Ethiopian uh, that he met down in uh, Gaza, in the desert area called Gaza. And you know that in Acts chapter 8 where Philip was led to go talk to the man and the man received Christ and then was baptized right along the road. I like that. Drive-by baptismal. Amen? And uh, right there by the water, he said, to See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? You have your King James Bible, you have verse 37. If you have one that's based on the Westcott and Hort text, Many of them will leave 37 out. He said, well, watch verse 37. Where uh, it was said to him by Philip, If thou believest all, all thine heart, thou mayest. The, the man had asked, can I be baptized? He said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he says, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he went down and baptized him. That would be a strange thing to leave out something called the Bible, wouldn't it? And so they, uh, they went down and did that. And then what happened? The Bible says Philip went one direction, went on his way preaching, and it said that the Ethiopian went his other way and went back to Ethiopia rejoicing. No, no record they ever saw each other again. But the Gospel was taken again into this, to this thing. I remember hearing, a, uh, i tell you how far back it was, I first heard it was on cassette tape. Young people don't know what that is. Amen. Uh, but... Uh, the uh, I remember when that was all the, you know that was that was the fancy thing we were coming out eight tracks so you know um, and you know, really don't know what that is but the uh, but the 
uh, on this cassette, the preacher was talking and he was recognizing some people from Sault Ste. Marie who had uh, had a church going and all that. And the way that happened, a lady had visited and down, uh, actually she went down to Florida and visited churches down there. She got saved, got a bunch of gospel tracts, took them back up and just started passing them out. Well, God used that thing and got the church started. The people, Some people got saved. They started just meeting together. And then they called the pastor and then they, uh, they had the church established. Why? Because God just took that thing out there. And so the gospel has gone out into all the world. Don't think that you're going to get recognition from the public media about the gospel going into all the world. Um, it, it's just, it's not, going to get, it's not going to get media time unless it's in a slanderous way. And so the gospel had went out, and thank God it had. Look in verse 6, continuing. And bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. It, it always brings forth fruit. Uh, found out we, it's kind of, it's, that was kind of neat. Somebody in Singapore is listening to the podcast now. So there, there you go. We picked up another country. He said, what all come of that? Who knows what will come of that? We're trying to get the gospel into as much and as far reaching as we can with this. It says, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Verse 7. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Then he makes a statement. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in how much wisdom? All wisdom. God has all wisdom for you. You know the Bible talks about different wisdoms. I'll not belabor the point. I've taught you this. There's a wisdom that's earthly, sensual, devilish. There's the wisdom of the children of this world. And, uh, but then there's the wisdom of God. And God wants us to be filled with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's for everybody. Doesn't matter what your educational level is. Doesn't matter what your IQ level is. You can be filled with the wisdom of God and with understanding, spiritual understanding, if you'll seek it. That you might walk worthy of the Lord. There's the purpose of the wisdom. It's not so we can be puffed up. It's so we can walk worthy. Unto, there's our word again, all pleasing. In other words, every aspect of our life pleasing God. Question for you this morning. <laughs> do, the, do the different areas of your life please God? Not do you think God ought to be pleased with them, but do they please God? Are they consistent with who He is? We've got a lot of different areas of our life, don't we? They're all interconnected, but there's a bunch of different areas, just like there's a bunch of different relationships in our lives. But are they pleasing to God? That's, that's the paramount question. He said that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at here. We're going to run to our word again. Strengthened with how much might? All might. In other words, you'll have day by day what you need. He said, I don't know if I'll have enough strength for the future. I'll give you something else to think on. You don't know if you have the future. (laughs) So before you get all uptight about whether or not you're going to be able to handle the future, please realize you don't know for sure you're going to have it. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Do not borrow what you don't have grace for yet. You you deal with what you're dealing with today. I'm not saying don't ever plan. The Bible teaches to have wisdom and and foresight and that sort of thing. But but don't don't let it overwhelm you and fret you. We we receive might for what we need at that time. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. We have the word all in there a lot, don't we? Look in verse 12, and I'm really going to draw attention once we get down to verse 16. But uh, let's read through these others. I don't want you to miss what's in them. Giving thanks unto the Father, which made us meet. You see that word M-E-E-T? 
Um, that word is uh, in that context, and when you see it written that way, isn't meeting somebody. I'm glad to meet you today. It's meet. It means it's appropriate for the situation. It means it's fitted for the situation. It has what the situation needs. And so uh, it makes you ready for something, whatever it may be. And it says there, who hath, who hath made us uh, meet to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, God makes us where we are capable of receiving what He has for us. Look at this verse. Verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of what, church? It's serious power. But God's delivered us from it. We're not under that anymore. And hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Verse 14 is there. If you're looking at a book, and you may have part of this missing. If you have one with the Westcott Hort background. And whom we have redemption, look at this phrase, through His blood. I hope you're not looking at a bloodless book there. Through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You say, well, my Bible's got blood in it in other places. Well, yours is anemic then. Missing blood. And whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, verse 16, the passage that says it all, look at this. For by Him were all things created. God is the Creator. And uh, the Lord has created us. Well, I'll tell you what, when that was removed from the public knowledge as far as what's taught in schools, a serious, serious problem had entered into our land. I remember the uh, lawyer that uh, he's, he's since passed, but the lawyer that owned the little building that our church rented when I first came as a pastor, I remember meeting with him. He had just raised our rent from $1,260 a month to $1,380. And uh, he was, we only paid that for three or four months before we got the property here. But he raised our rent on the property. And I went and met with him trying to talk him out of raising the rent on us until we can find something else. I mean, we were struggling. At that, our offerings had come up some by then. When I first came, they were averaging just under $600, $586 a week for total offerings. 1260 of that was rent, not counting utilities. So needless to say, that was a little bit more building than what the church could afford. And uh, so I met with this uh, lawyer. Have you ever tried to meet with a lawyer and talk him out of money? I don't care if you are a preacher. Getting that done, I need a direct divine intervention, which I didn't happen to get that day when it came to the money side of things. But uh, Mr. Kellner, who was the, uh, who was the attorney, he, he worked a lot with the juvenile and, uh, side of things as far as the law goes. And he asked me a question. He called me Reverend. That's not the title I go by, but he called me Reverend. And he said, Reverend, he said, uh, he said, why are we seeing such an increase? He said, what I am seeing and what we're dealing with is just unbelievable what's going on. You've got to understand, what was that? We found this property uh, right at 27 years. So you're talking, uh, you're talking uh, over 27, 27 and a half years ago almost. And he said, why are we seeing this? And I looked at him and I said, teaching of evolution. This is our Darwinian evolution. And he looked at me like, what? And he said, that's interesting. He goes, can you elaborate? I said, I can. I started talking to him about what happens when people do not understand they are created in God's image. And what happens when you teach people from the youngest age they are nothing more than an evolved animal. And how that leads to animalistic behavior. And how the Darwinism goes hand in hand with moral relativism, which basically says that you have situation ethics that there are no absolute rights or wrongs. 
And as we had that discussion, I still remember, and as I mentioned to you before, he actually had put off the next couple of, uh, uh, couple of appointments, and I talked to him over an hour. And by the way, to his credit, he did not bill me for it. I was ready for that. I was going to counterbill him if he did, because I was the one talking. And, uh, but he was very interested and got to clearly present the gospel, which is where I was leading with that. But let me say to you, all things were created by him. God made them. Now, I understand we see it in a distorted form now. You're talking, well, over 6,000 years since the creative act, and you're seeing at this time what has happened in the degeneration that has happened over those time periods. Even in the humans, we see it. While we're more technologically advanced, and we have some of the benefits of building on what's gone on before us, yet uh, we show the marks of the ongoing degradation of sin to fairly well in, in, the, in the human condition. It does us well to remember that God created us. The Bible says and admonishes in Ecclesiastes, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, before the evil days draw nigh, and thou say, I have no pleasure in them. It's an important thing to understand that we're made in the image of God. As such, we have responsibilities. As such, we have privileges. Thank God for it. We were made. All things were made by Him. My Father made everything that is. When I see what He made and I see the work of His hand, it testifies to who He is. It's no wonder the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. I love that word declare. It's not a whisper. It's not God saying, It's not God saying, you reach your own conclusion. He's declaring something. It's a declarative statement. The firmament shows His handiwork. All the creation of God bears the imprint of the Maker. And so what happens with this? He made it. It all. All things were created by Him. We are creatures made by God and thank God for it. Then it goes on in verse 16. It says, all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth. It's not just this sphere on which we live. But all things were made by our Heavenly Father. Visible and invisible. I don't believe in invisible things. Then uh, you're, 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 be careful. Your ignorance is shown. The, uh, you, you have spectrum of light you can't pick up with your natural eye. You have range of hearing you can't pick up with your natural ear. And by the way, that'll grow as you get older. And some of you have learned how to selectively turn off certain things, including individuals' voices that maybe you shouldn't have. But He's made all things visible and invisible. There is more of a world than just what you can, you can perceive with your senses in, in, a, in a sensual manner, whether it be taste, touch, sight, smell, hearing. There are things beyond that, and they're real. In fact, the spiritual is more real than the tangible, for the tangible has an end. Yeah. While the things which are were made by things which do not appear. And uh, God, had, God has, we have things around. It's so amazing. I'm amazing how secular God's people's thinking is sometimes. They, they think everything is economic process. Everything is political process. Everything is educational process. Everything is just physical process. And I understand all those things exist and have their place and have a bearing on things. I'm not one who says those don't exist. I'm not foolish for that. But they completely, did, I'm talking about God's people completely discount there's a spiritual realm. They see things going on and don't think there's anything going on behind it when the Bible clearly tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Spiritual wickedness in high places. By the way, that spiritual wickedness in high places is not just somebody you didn't like got elected. 
There's things going on. I invite you to read the book of Daniel and find out that the prayer of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 precipitated a warfare and a battle in the heavenlies. Those principalities are princes over an area. There are spiritual entities that, ha that have powers over certain areas. To not understand that or to relegate that and, and let those who are uh, more delving into fanaticism instead of good solid biblical faith, to let them take that over as their territory instead of looking at it biblically and understanding that when we meet together as a church that there is spiritual darkness which tries to affect you. When you decide as a believer to step out and do something for God and actually live as a Christian, you will encounter opposition. It's not just opposition of a culture that may be different than what you're trying to live. It's opposition on a spiritual level. And so this is here. We understand this by the Scripture and He talks about these things. God had created these things, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created. Look at the end of verse 16, church. All things were created by Him. We understand that, but that's not all. It also tells us the reason. And for Him. Someone says, I'm trying to find the meaning of life. There it is. Now that will be rejected because it will be too simple for some folks. They'll accuse it of being simplistic just because it's simple. Some of the greatest profundities are very simple in their appearance. The... Uh, all things are created by Him and for Him. So what's the purpose of life? For Him. No, no, no. What's my purpose in life? Oh, you're asking what you're supposed to do as a job. No, no. The purpose of your life is for Him. Oh, no, no. I mean, what's the purpose of my life? Oh, you're asking who you should marry or who you should... No, no, no. For Him. Oh, what's the purpose of my life? Oh, you're trying to ask where you should live. No, 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 no. For Him. Yeah. You get that for Him down, that other stuff all... Takes on the right meaning. If you don't get that right, then the other stuff is just it just doesn't doesn't hold up. All things are created for him by him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things. In fancy circles they like, to, they like to call that the transcendence of Christ. He is before all things. Not only is that speaking in a chronological order, uh, if I may use that term in that sense. But uh, in other words, he was before this world it was. But he's also before all things. He's, he's, he's ahead of it. And by him, how many things consist? He holds them together. Our God didn't just spin the world into action and let it go. He literally, things consist by his continual care of us. And he is the head of the body, the church. Now, I want you to understand something. There is a church of the, of the firstborn. We are, there, there's several different baptisms talked about in the Bible. Sometimes people read baptism, they only think of it in one, one line. There are, different, there are different baptisms. John's baptism was baptism of repentance. The baptism by which we baptize is baptism for believers, those who have received Christ. There's a spiritual baptism, it has nothing to do with water at all, and that's when we accept Christ and you're baptized into the body, which is His church, of Christ. Now listen to me carefully. I'm not going to sidetrack onto this. It's a whole teaching by itself. That is manifested, or the outworking, the, 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 the uh, reality of it today, are churches, as in the churches of Galatia, the churches of Ephesus, the churches which are in Macedonia. You say, well, there's one. 
universal church. Now, one day there will be a called out assembly. We have not been called out yet. God's design in churches right now are local assemblies of baptized believers. Those are His churches. One day, all who belong to Christ will be called out together to be with Him. Then, then it will be the church, the general assembly of the firstborn. I'm using a Bible term for this. And so when He talks about this here, He said He is the head of the church. So, whether it be a group of people meeting in Uganda this morning or taking time frame allowances here, uh, time, time differences, but someone meeting today uh, in Thailand, someone meeting today in Australia, some, some group meeting today in, in, uh, in, in England, and I think of different men in these places, um, and someone meeting today here in Ohio, he is the head. Christ is. He is the head. He has a structure by which churches are to operate. He has a he has a a, a a a setup on how it's supposed to work here and how things are supposed to operate. But never ever doubt for a moment that Christ Himself is the head of the church. He is the one to whom we answer. He is the one who has redeemed us, and the church is precious to Him. And so it talks about this. It says He is the head of the church. He He is uh, verse eighteen. He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, look at it, verse 18, all things he might have the preeminence. You say, what's well, preeminence? It means that he, he gets first place. He gets first place. Um, some of you over the years have watched there are certain men that come in it isn't because of the size of their work or what title they may, may or may not have. There are certain men we'll have in to preach, and you'll watch me defer to them. I mean, I stop being the pastor of the church. They come up here. I'd like to sit here. Where would you like to go? If you were in the office with me, I'd say, how do you want to handle the invitation? What will work best for you when we come down to the end? Do you want to invite the people to, to make decisions? Do you want some time then? Do you want me to step up? What do you want to do? You say, why are you deferring to them? Because uh, I... A lot of times it's because of their, their, how long they've been at the ministry. It's a recognition of what they do and who they are. You say, what is that? That's, that's, that's deferring. Having them come in. Giving them place. You ever been somewhere where they had to, they'll have the, the table of honor or whatever? They do that sometimes at weddings and wedding party will be in a certain place. Sometimes you'll go somewhere and they'll have certain seating. Have you ever seen that done? You give someone the preeminence. And what this is teaching us is Christ is to have the preeminence. The main thing, <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, there's, there's a movement that came through, the seeker-friendly service and all that stuff. What a serious error that is in Christianity. Everyone should be made to feel welcome. It's part of what we're to do. I've talked, and Brother Brett's accepted position of head usher with our church here, and I'm excited for that. We've got some neat things we're bringing in. But when I talked to them, when we, we met, and he's expressed his heart for this thing, and we're talking about it. We are, we are looking at a way, how can we more and more as a church be welcoming to people? It's a very valid thing. I mean, whether we realize it or not, this is not a large church, but for some people, it's a bunch of people. I mean, every church I've been to has been a little family affair, 20, 30, 40 people. And that's hard. Some of us have been around some larger churches. That's hard to understand. But really, you walk in here and it's a very busy place. So it's like, whoa, what's going on? You know? We want to be welcoming. 
Someone comes in and man, they don't fit anything going on here. How out of place do they feel? And they come in, it's like, whoa, okay. Uh, it's a different setup. It's a different setting than they're used to. We ought to make them feel welcome. However, they will not always feel comfortable. You know, someone walks in and sits among us and they're a thief. Man, they'll steal stuff if it's not nailed down and they carry a hammer just in case it is so they can pull the nails. They shouldn't feel comfortable with their thieving ways. Someone who's unsaved shouldn't feel comfortable in their lost condition. It's a very bad thing when an unsaved person feels comfortable in their lost condition. Someone's, uh, someone's committed fornication, they should not feel comfortable about that sin. They should have truth presented to them. They should not feel comfortable. Someone's a gossip and lies about people and is injurious to people behind their back and is malicious in their spirit. They shouldn't feel comfortable in that condition. However, they should be welcome because this is the place where everybody in here, and look at me, all of us, you get the self-inclusive pronoun, all of us, all of us walk in here with needs that God needs to straighten out in us. All of us. We walk in with needs. And all of us walk in glad that we have a God who cares enough about us to have gotten involved in our lives. But what about this thing about preeminence, preacher? What are you talking about? Seeker friendly. Well, the seeker friendly movement has led to changing and adapting things without a regard to what makes Christ happy, but rather what makes the quote unquote consumer happy. In fact, so much so that the language of the churches has picked up the language of uh, marketing and corporate America instead of, instead of keeping to the biblical language. No longer are we talking about repentance. No longer talking about people getting right. No longer about people changing their lives. But instead trying to get people on board to buy into our world vision. To have a paradigm shift in their thinking so that they can incorporate what we believe. It's a complete shift of what's going on. With those with enough discernment to see it biblically, you know it's a dangerous shift. Why? Because in all things, Christ is to have the preeminence. Yeah. You know the main reason for the special this morning? I'm glad for it. It blessed me. I like it. Do you know the main reason? Is that Christ would be pleased with that. That needs to be uppermost. Choir, you're supposed to sing tonight. And the main thing for that choir song tonight is that the Lord would be pleased with that. The main thing to this message, I want to help you. I have a strong desire. In fact, in my preaching, I have a desire not to deliver a sermon. I don't care about that at all. I want to deliver my soul to you. I want to give you what I've gotten from the Word of God and feed you with good food from the Word of God. It's my soul's desire. But the main thing is that Christ will be pleased. As I said here this morning, I ask God, let me speak Your Word to Your people the way You want it done. In the right spirit, in the right way, not backing away from anything that needs said, and God help me do it the way you do it. Why? Because it is important that He has the preeminence. I wish my heart was always real tender to Him about that, but every, every now and then I got to remind myself and get back in line. Are you like that at all? You kind of forget who He is, and then we just kind of get going in through the motion. It's easy to do, isn't it? Well, God wants to have the preeminence and in Christ is supposed to have the preeminence. Why? This church isn't for this congregation. This church is for Christ. And boy, when we get that right, then everything else, we'll be loving as we ought to be. We'll be welcoming as we ought to be. We'll be, we'll be mindful of helping people the way we ought to be when He has the preeminence. Then let's go down here and just look at a couple more things. 
Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. I don't like the positive mental attitude type of teaching that has led people to uh, self-exaltation and and, and, uh, a superabundance of introspection. But I'll tell you what I do like. I like what the Bible teaches. That when you got Christ, you got everything you needed. Yeah. So many times I want to say to God's people, you know what? You can do the right thing. You can grow. Say, so, oh, preacher, I've got some hard circumstances. Many of God's people do. Many of God's people have. But it does not limit who God is. You can be what you ought to be for the Lord. You can go forward for Christ. You say, oh, I have quite a quite a past. Yeah? Remember what that word means. Quite a what? Past. Oh, that means that what happened before? Hmm. Not much you can do by that except learn what you need to from it. Well, I'll tell you what, if you have Christ, you have quite a future. And quite a present. See, I, I believe that generational problems can be changed by the grace of God. I believe that this saying, well, my family's always been, is nonsense and leaves out the active working power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if it makes you cautious about tendencies, then you're wise. But if it curtails your willingness to grow, if you lean back on it as an excuse, well, my grandpa was and my daddy was and I guess I'm going to be too, then you are denying the very power of the living God because He is able to make us different. We're able to go forward from what we ought to be. Why? Because Christ has for us a change in our life. And uh, He said that in Him should all fullness dwell. It all dwells in Christ. He said, well, I want the fullness. I understand that. And the Bible tells us to seek for it. In fact, it says to believers, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's talking about saved people in whom the Spirit already dwells, but there needs to be a fullness of that Spirit. But all of that is in Christ. I didn't realize it at all until the day I got saved because I didn't know anything about the Bible at all. But I didn't didn't realize it, but everything I needed was in Christ when I got saved. It was already there. Not a matter of getting it, it was a matter of learning to use it. Is what's there. And so in Him should all fullness dwell. But that's not all. Look in verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, and it doesn't mean that it was your imagination, it means your mind was at odds with God, the way you thought and what you thought about and what you did. Yet now hath He reconciled the body of His flesh. And it goes on and goes down there, but I draw your attention to that last all that I want to give your attention to in verse 20. He said, By Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. You know, it's a great thing if people who were at odds get reconciled. It's a great thing if people who, you know, had something against each other get things worked out, get a reconciliation. That's wonderful. But here it's talking about something even deeper than that. It's talking about us being reconciled unto Him. Do you understand that the blood of Christ made it where God could receive us unto Himself? 
See, He could not change who He is to receive us. He could not change what He is to accept us. Think about this. If in our corrupt state, we could go to heaven in this corrupt state, we would immediately defile heaven by being there. We would bring it in with us. We live in a day and time, people are very worried about infection, communicable disease, that sort of thing, aren't we? And it's, it's highlighted as has never been in, in my lifetime, although certainly we have seen not just hundreds of thousands, millions of people have died of influenza during the course of my lifetime. Every year, every year, many, many people. But this year, on people's minds, it's in the forefront of things. People thinking about all these things, precautions that they imagine many of them will help, most of which have nothing to do with safety. But the but all this going on, why? People say, well, I don't catch something. You bring that in here. Man, don't bring that in here. Why? Because that will bring illness, that sort of thing. We see uh, uh, my wife will get strawberries, and uh, she'll always look. They're in the little clear container things, and she'll look at them. Realize one day what she's doing, she's checking to make sure they're not getting fuzzy. Because when the strawberries starts to get bad, you know what happens if you don't get it out of there? What happens to the whole bunch? Isn't that right? You have to pull the thing in there. Well, can I tell you, can you imagine if we, could, if we could enter in in our present case, in our present situation, into heaven, we would corrupt the place. See, nothing can enter in there that brings corruption. That's why we must all be changed. Inside you, when you got saved, you were changed. You were reconciled unto God. The me that was born on July 26, 1980, he said, man, you're young. No, that's the second me. My first me was born in 1964. But in 1980, the me that was born then is incorruptible. I was born of God. That's the new me. This me that was born in 1964 is quite corruptible and has corruption. Therefore, this me, this outside me, this flesh must be changed. Bible talks about that the moment between you and I we shall be changed. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Well, listen to this though. What happens is I've been reconciled to God. I've been made where He can accept me. Do you realize I could never make myself that by preaching His Word? Preaching His Word accurately is a good thing to do. But a lifetime of study and preaching could never reconcile me to God because it would not take away my corruption. Do you realize giving and tithing and giving above the tithe and helping missions and all that since teenage years would, it can never buy a reconciliation? There's only one thing it is the blood of Christ. You know, uh, just like in the Old Testament when God was coming through Egypt and death was going to be there for the firstborn, He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I like the implication that he saw the blood and nothing else. Do you know probably there were people who put the blood on the door? Of course, I'm referring to the Passover. I wonder how many people, Brother Robin, they came over to that door and they put blood on that door, put it down, doorpost across the limb, and they were scared that night. They heard the cries in the households where people were dying. I wonder how many were scared. I wonder how many still had doubts. They had just enough faith to take the hyssop, take the blood, and put it on there. They had enough faith to do what God said. But I wonder how many of them said, well, this will work. 
So I bet none of them did. Really? You think you're dealing with people and they didn't? Come on, get real with me. I wonder if anybody's crying. I'm pretty nervous about it. I wonder if anybody had to comfort their children. You know there was a great cry in Egypt. Can you imagine the screaming going on? And you have a place that's a, a, a hot climate at that time of the year and such, and the open, not just open windows, but places that don't even have windows. You start to hear this as throughout this, this great population, all these households have death in it. What kind of sound? Wailing and keening is going to be going on. Do you think that would affect the emotions of those who would put the blood? They've done everything God said to do. they got their shoes on. They're ready to go. Staff in the hand. They've eaten the Passover. The blood's on the, on the doorpost. You know, when God came by, He didn't see what their emotional state was when He saw the blood He passed over. Yeah. He didn't see what their actions had been up to that point when He saw the blood He passed over. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And when He reconciled all things unto Himself, He reconciled all things. He didn't reconcile part of you and not all of you. There are memories you wish you could erase. Things you would gladly go back and change. But listen to me, my friend. In the sight of God, when He sees the blood, He will pass over you. All things are reconciled. This is the kind of God we serve. This is the kind of God we can love. Why? Because all things belong to Him. And He's worthy that in all things He ought to have the preeminence. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank You for Your words. Thank You for this passage. And uh, Lord, may it be a clear day and a day of salvation for any who know You not. And may Your people get strength, solace from You, and the courage to go on in a world that uh, needs their witness and needs them to live for You. Bless, please, with a real understanding this morning. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Invitation's open. We have people who can take Scripture. Please don't leave this place without knowing that you truly belong to Christ. And if you're a believer today, there's a great comfort. Hey, Christ wants to have preeminence not just in how our services are structured in this meeting of a church, but He wants to have preeminence in us as a congregation when we're apart from one another. And as we live day by day, whatever it is you do this week, that He might have the preeminence in your life. We have a song invitation. Why don't you come this morning? Whatever your need is, why don't you bring it to the Lord? So you got a preeminent place in your life? Your language? Your, your, your habits? Your decisions? You committed to doing things the right way for the Lord? Then stand by that commitment. It'll be tested. When you decide to do things God's way, you will be tested. It always happens. Stay by what you know.